Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. There was nothing in Joe Biden's commentary to George Stephanopoulos on ABC that could be looked at and you say to yourself, yeah, that's a leader you want. Defensive, angry, hateful, dismissive, uninterested. And that may have been the high points. But nothing struck me as more what am I listening to than this. And it wasn't even the commentary of people are falling from the planes. Yeah, but that was four or five days ago. No, it was this. This exchange right here. So you don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. I listened to that over and over again and again. And I said on social media and I said to myself, how is this not? the most stunning slight of the military ever. This could have been done without chaos? Are you making the argument that the people engaged in the doing it are guilty of chaos? That's what it sounded like to me. And I wondered what it sounded like to to people who have a fuller, more complete understanding and connection to the military, those who have served. And then taking a look at the so-called military advisors we have right now, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and General Mark Milley, dealing with how they're dealing with things now, not maybe their career. What future does America have to even get us to 2024? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Facebook Tony Katz Radio, the phone number 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. Kurt Schlichter joins us right now. He is, of course, of townhall.com, a lawyer by trade, served in the U.S. Army, Colonel Kurt Schlichter. He is also the author of the Kelly Turnbull series of books, the latest book, The Split. That is book number six, available at amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold, The Split, by Kurt Schlichter. Now, maybe I took that differently than you, Kurt, a man who, who has served and has worn the uniform and has commanded troops. But as you take a look at the totality of what has taken place in this non-withdrawal withdrawal from Afghanistan, what is the overall take and then specifically to that commentary yesterday? Tony, uh, this couldn't have been a bigger abortion if it was called Operation Roe versus Wade. This is a disgrace on every level. I don't want – now – Joe Joe Biden is a desiccated old zombie. He's stupid. You missed that adjective. And uh, he's a failure that makes Jimmy Carter look like uh, George Washington by comparison. But let's not let the military off. This is a I'm looking at this and I don't see a plan. I you know, if you're an officer, that's what you did. You planned. Yeah, you commanded troops. But your big thing was planning. You know, you, you spent your career planning, whether in command or on staff. You're planning, planning, planning. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, what the hell is the plan? You know, I just saw uh, Millie on uh, – uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter, are you guys buying fuel from the Taliban? And he wouldn't answer. 
they, you know, America wins wars because of logistics. When I was in Desert Storm, one day I came over a hill, there was nothing but desert. The next day I came over and there was a city. America wins because we move stuff. And to not have a, a, a logistical plan that would allow us the fuel we need to fly out and to be relying on these 7th century barbarians for gas is so mind-boggling. I don't recognize my army. I recognize my soldiers. They're tough and they're good. But the leadership is a disaster, and we must fire, every, presumptively fire, every general and every admiral and invite a very few back. Now, I am harkens back to President Trump saying he knows better than the generals. And people said, how dare you? And I guess the clear answer is, well, it's kind of easy to dare when we're seeing this kind of, <laughs> of, of failed leadership. But take me through it on a logistical level. You're a guy who has studied. You have graduated from the War College. Take me through on a logistical level how this pullout should have occurred and what are the key things that happened to get us to this moment? Well, I don't know what happened to get us to this moment because I don't see anything, any evidence of anything happened. It's like they're making it up as they go along. Hey, today we're throwing in an extra battalion reinforced. Hey, tomorrow, uh, you know, we're, we're going to start issuing visas. This, this was not a surprise. This should have been a planned event. You, you, I mean, there is something called the MDMP, Military Decision-Making Process, which is a systematic way of making sure that you've checked all the boxes, that you've looked at all the options, and that you've come up with the optimal plan. And when it works, it works beautifully. Look at uh, the op plan for Desert Storm, which I, I, I was in it, and I, I saw when a plan comes together and when it works, uh, uh, it, it is the pinnacle of American power. This I don't under I, I, Tony I'm I'm baffled I don't understand what the hell was going on what the hell were these people doing I mean you throw away Bagram Air Base which is a, a not only a huge logistical hub but a tactical hub where where else are you going to fly uh, uh, aircraft to give you air support you know off a carrier eight hours away I mean that's what they're doing air support is how one of the ways we differentiate ourselves you know what a company of uh, infantry without air support is it's like a bunch of taliban guys except better trained because it's guys with rifles our advantage is the ability to bring deadly fire on people from aircraft drones uh, uh artillery whatever that's that is one of our huge advantages and we've just tossed that away for whatever reason it's like it's like they went to war college learned all sorts of stuff took their notes, went out into the uh, courtyard, and set it on fire. I don't get it. I'm baffled. Talking to author and columnist Kurt Schlichter, his latest book, The Split, part of the Kelly Turnbull series, available at Amazon.com. Just search up Kurt Schlichter, S-C-H-L-I-C-H-T-E-R, Kurt Schlichter Books or The Split, Kurt Schlichter, and you can get it there. This air support conversation has been one that's been confusing for a lot of people. And the, the understanding, and, you know, it's, it's, it's because you don't think about it, right? It's not your everyday thing. It's, it's very appreciated. Right. I don't think anybody's done anything wrong by not understanding it. I've been getting myself up no. to speed. The U.S. military works on this idea of air support. The, the Afghans forces were trained utilizing this idea of air support. So then you have Joe Biden and the team pulling not only air support in terms of U.S. air support from the Afghan special forces, but limiting their ability to access and utilize air support. So could the Afghan forces, as you see it, with 15 plus years of U.S. training, been able to take on the Taliban nose to nose? 
or is there something else there about their inabilities that Intel and the generals should have known? Well, look, there there are problems with the troops, uh, the Afghan troops, no question. But what you said is is correct, but it doesn't go far enough. The American military works on bosses, battlefield operating systems, of which air power is one of many. We are not a band of guys with rifles. We are a, a system of systems. And when I was a commander, I was concerned with coordinating and synchronizing the effects from various systems, whether it's logistics, bringing beams and bullets, air power, artillery, infantry, armor, uh, communications. I mean, you, you are a conductor in a symphony with 15, 20 different instruments, not just one, not just air power. Well, that's what we made the Iraq, uh, Afghans into, a mini American uh, army that worked on systems too. And if you pull one of them out, like a Jenga tower, it collapses. It works very well for us when we're doing it right. But to base a you know a seventh century uh, tribal culture uh, trying to do a twenty first century military organization was probably a mistake from the beginning. But absolutely right when when Biden pulls out our air support and effectively their air support by getting rid of the contractors who keep the planes flying because you know uh, you know Abdul the uh, uh, Pushkin tribesman even with a couple years experience is not going to be able to maintain. A uh, uh, you know an A-29 Takano uh, ground support aircraft, it, 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 or a Black Hawk helicopter. It's just you you know we trained them in a certain way, and then we didn't support them in the way they needed. Uh, if we had designed a different Afghan army, we might be having a different result today. One that utilizes their skills, their excellent light infantry. Did we? If we had done that, that might have been different. I don't know, but I do know this is an abomination. This, you know, this is the heavier part of this, and this is where uh, Joe Biden crossed the streams and wants credit, and people are desperate to try and get him out of this, but there's no credit to be given. He wants to make the argument that we had to get out eventually and these guys wouldn't defend themselves, but he makes no consideration for the fact that they may have very well been trained wrong. He makes no consideration to the fact that his military got it completely wrong, his leadership, in how aggressive the Taliban would be acting and moving, and he makes absolutely no recognition of the fact that there was no plan in place. So the question that many Americans are asking, never mind what's really wrong with Joe Biden, which is a uh, a conversation that I'm going to get into tomorrow, how does the nation survive until 2024 if the ineptness is this deep? Well, look, I, I, I've got to say I'm worried. I'm not as worried as the Taiwanese. You've got to be terrified right about uh, but our enemies see the weakness. They see the fecklessness. They see the uh, uh, uniformed punchlines that are our senior generals who, uh, you know, uh, they, 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 they were more concerned with, uh, you know, making sure that uh, the liberal congressmen knew that they were, you know, studying their critical race theory than with uh, uh, ensuring the uh, successful exit from Afghanistan or anything else. It's uh, – that's a great question. I, I don't know. We're, we're still a giant military. We're not done. Uh, this, it, it isn't over tomorrow. I mean, you know, the Roman Empire went through greater defeats than this and came roaring back. We can come roaring back, but we need leadership and we need a return to the principles of the military that I benefited from. I was taught by the guys who rebuilt the military after Vietnam. Those were our colonels. Those were our generals. 
And it showed in Desert Storm where in 100 hours, an American force annihilated, I think it was 36 divisions in 100 hours, a military victory, uh, probably within the top five in all of human history. And I was there and I watched it uh, from uh, 7th Corps Marine headquarters. And so I, I have been there at the top uh, and now I'm watching at a distance from the bottom. But we can come back, but it's going to take leadership. And we, we, we've got to stop pretending that our establishment isn't uh, broken. We've got to stop pretending that our establishment is competent, that it's capable, that it's elite, that it's full of our betters. It's not. Let's take it now uh, a, a step in a, in, a, in a different direction, which is the military commanders that we have right now. And I want to focus on General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. You have said on this show that that man has a decorated history as a soldier and should be celebrated. How does the well, decorated he has soldier? Decorated history as a soldier. <laughs> What'd you say? He has a decorated history as a soldier. Look, he performed very well as a junior officer. He performed. It was a good battalion commander, according to people who served under him. And he is a disaster as a general. Some people get promoted past their point of competence. He's gone far beyond that. He's actively awful on every level. He, uh, under Trump, he managed to destroy 250 years of civil military relations. Under Obama, he's presided over uh, a huge defeat and humiliation for America. Uh, and, it, and he won't be held accountable. And today he's going to get some big-time job, right, be an MSNBC spokesman. And uh, this is the problem. This is the problem, Tony. Failure is – there's no uh, consequence for failure. There's only a consequence for success. If you look at Donald Trump, Donald Trump achieved a lot, and they made him pay for it because his success endangered the establishment. Kurt Schlichter is his name. The book, The Split, by Kurt Schlichter, available at Amazon.com, part of the Kelly Turnbull series of books. You can find his columns at Town Hall. Uh, dot com kurt always always a pleasure there's more coming up i'm tony katz so in an installment of not the onion there is a magazine, I think called Current Affairs. Yeah, that's it. Current Affairs. And Current Affairs is a socialist magazine. Now, don't ask me if they sell advertising space in the magazine, because I don't know how to answer those kinds of questions. But it's a socialist magazine. And the people who work there started a uh, a co-op they they started a a workers co-op how would i describe what a workers co-op is um it, it not necessarily would you call it a union yeah yeah, I think I think you would. So the idea of a workers co-op, it's it's about they believe they can keep engage control by putting um workers as owners and participating in decision making. So it's 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 about how the worker has more control over the um the the establishment. 
And, of course, I look at this and say, whatever. But you want to live your life, you live your life. Well, the staffers there at Current Affairs were trying to put one of these together. And so Nathan Robinson, who's the editor, fired the people who tried to create the workers' co-op at the Socialist magazine. All right, we have enough of that. Tell me that's not just great. Socialists act like socialists, and so the Socialist magazine says, we can't put up with this socialism, and fires everybody. Life uh, finds a way. This is an important lesson for uh, for all uh, those socialists out there, or, or the people who claim they're socialists. First, uh, you know, it's 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 the old argument. Oh no no no! You see, they this other nation they tried socialism or they tried communism. They just didn't do it right. You know, a real socialist organization has never been tried. Sure, whatever you say. Always understand that socialism is a shtick. It's um, it's a shell game. It is, it's a grift. There are people at the top who get fresh fruit and everybody else gets pushed to the bottom because by definition, everyone has to be at the bottom. How else can you be equal? You can't have classes and strata and everything else. Five people at the top run everything and you wonder if you'll ever see fresh fruit again. That's when it works. When it doesn't work, it's equally as bad. Whenever they tell you, oh, it just really hasn't been tried. No, 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 we can do it better. It's never true. These people always think that they're smarter. Now, I'm going to share with you some audio of a school teacher in Utah who believes uh, that the kids are smarter than the parents. Wait till you hear it. You're going to lose your mind when you hear that. But, of course, socialism doesn't work. And you know who knows it better than everybody else? The socialists. It doesn't work. The people who say it works, is a, they're just lying to you. But is it a lie to say that masks don't work? I'm somebody who says that. That clearly when we're talking about masks stopping COVID, they don't work. Well, where is the data right now? Am I right or am I wrong? Do I have an argument to make? And what about these mask mandates? And what about the school boards attacking parents because they don't want their kids wearing masks? And what about Joe Biden in the midst of all this Afghanistan hellscape going after Republican governors because they don't think school boards should be able to mandate masks? No one has broken down the data better than Phil Kirpin of AmericanCommitment.org, and he is scheduled to be with us next. Keep it right here. Let's learn something. This is Tony Katz today. So in the middle of the Afghanistan debacle, there's Joe Biden. Screaming at governors, DeSantis and Abbott, about masks. Biden results in the weeks ahead. Just remember, we have two key and two key ways of protecting ourselves against COVID-19. One, safe, free and effective vaccines. And two, masks. Vaccines are the best defense. 
but masks are extremely helpful as well. And for those who aren't eligible for the vaccine yet, children under the age of 12, masks are the best available protection for them and the adults around them. That's why we need to make sure children are wearing masks in school. Before I talk about the news related to vaccines, let me say a few words about masks and our children. Let's hold off on that. Are kids better off with masks in school? Because data has said no. And masks, as we have seen, doesn't stop COVID. But things change, right? It's science. Data does change. You learn more things all the time. But what has now come out that all of a sudden has school boards saying you got to wear masks that somehow the rest of us haven't seen? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-468-8669. Got Tony. Phil Kirpin joins us right now from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. You can go to Committee to Unleash Prosperity dot com and find out more. Now, Phil's not a doctor. But I've met very few people who are better at breaking down the data, and he has been on cable news outlets and sharing on social media. Nothing more than looking at what's happening and reporting on what's happening, not pretending to be something that he's not. All I do is look at the data and report on the data. Joe Biden has made it clear that without masks, everybody is doomed. You have got him going after Governor Abbott of Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida because they are saying that you can't force masks onto people. It is the choice of the individual. We've asked this question before. I'm not, I don't want to be a broken record with you, but as these things develop, we need to make sure we go back to basics and then work our way out from there. Is there any new data out there that shows that masks, in a definitive way, stop COVID and keep children alive in this Delta variant conversation? No, Tony, there's no, there's no such data. And in fact, uh, this idea that Delta somehow changes everything we know about COVID and kids or COVID and masks uh, is totally contrary to the data we do have, which is very, very good data from the United Kingdom. They have much better data than we do on almost every aspect of COVID, by the way. Uh, but uh, in the United Kingdom, they never masked any children under the age of 12 because they said that the uh, downside in terms of the adverse educational impact, specifically on communication skills and uh, language development were far greater than any benefit. So they've never masked children under 12 in England, um, but they uh, ended masking for children over 12 in May. So right in the teeth of their very, very large Delta wave. Uh, And the results that they found there were actually lower in school case rates in the Delta wave than in the previous alpha wave, which is to say with this current wave, uh, the supposedly worst ever for kids, uh, they had less in school transmission than in the previous wave. And that was when they ended masking for the older kids uh, right in the middle of that. And they never had masking for the younger kids. So what the UK has found, and you actually have been uh, sharing this, you had it pinned uh, to, your, to your Twitter feed for a while from the Financial Times that if you were 18 and, un- 18 and under and unvaccinated, your chances of dying from COVID was just about or just over one ten thousandth 
of a percent. Uh, but in that same kind of look at, at UK data, not max, masking kids 12 and under, uh, they have not found that that has had any effect in rising COVID cases, even with the Delta variant. Uh, correct. They actually had lower lower um, in school cases uh, than than in the previous wave. And, you know, it's 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 very interesting. I think that uh, the masking in the classroom context may actually make symptomatic disease a little bit more likely, which would explain some of the U.S. data that we have from this last school year, where you had slightly higher case rates in the mask than the in the I, I should say in the mask mandated than in the mask optional schools. And I think that's because um, I do think the masks stop droplets and close contact transmission uh, there largely almost completely ineffective against aerosol transmission. And certainly in a circumstance where you're sitting in a classroom with someone, if they're breathing out aerosols that have virus in it, you know, if the mask buys you five extra minutes so that it's a 20-minute exposure to get infected as opposed to 15, that has zero benefit in a classroom where you're sitting there eight hours long. Uh, but if droplets are more likely to cause an asymptomatic infection and uh, aerosols are more likely to actually make you sick because you breathe it in, it gets in deeper into your lungs, and there is some evidence that's the case, uh, then you may uh, not be stopping any infections with the masks, and you may be making some of them more severe, which would explain the slightly higher case rates because you're more likely to go take a test and actually find out that your kid has it as opposed to them just, uh, you know, it gets in their nose and the immune system knocks it right out. So that's my theory of why we see what we see in the data. But I can tell you, whatever your theory is, uh, we've got data from millions of kids from this past school year uh, that it just ended, and the case rates were slightly higher in the mask mandated than the mask optional schools. Now, you can say that's correlation. It's not causation. That's true, but it's extraordinarily hard to explain the correlation going in the opposite direction if you want to claim that masks actually are effective in the classroom context. Talking to Phil Kirpin, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. Now let's get into if this is the case, and certainly we're seeing that Delta is more contagious, and you are discussing the fact that you could see a rise in kids getting uh, COVID, but it isn't so much the thing that is flooding hospitals as much as we know it's RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which is a respiratory virus that usually occurs in kids two years old and under. We're seeing a little more kids get this, which could have something to do with the fact that more kids were interacting with each other. You had very low rates when they were in lockdown. They're interacting with each other. You have more kids uh, getting this, the kind of thing that's filling the hospitals. But we keep hearing about how the ICUs are filled with kids uh, with, with COVID, talk to me about what you know about ICU numbers, ICU beds. Are they filled with kids with COVID? Uh, well, the, the pediatric hospitals, the children's hospitals, and the pediatric ICUs are at very high utilization right now. They're at a winter-type utilization level, even though we're in the summer when they're usually very low. And this is kind of the opposite of what we saw this past winter, which is they were completely empty at the time where they're usually very full, very busy. And so we had this circumstance where we, we thought that we skipped the respiratory disease season for children, but we didn't skip it, Tony. We deferred it. We postponed it from the winter to the summer. And we're now getting this massive RSV wave. Other viruses are back, too, especially para-influenza viruses. And so it's not all RSV, but RSV is the main driver here. And we're essentially getting a winter-type uh, utilization of children's hospitals in the summer. And, in fact, um, the 
RSV levels right now are higher than the last winter peak in 2019-2020, so, and they're still rising. I'm hoping we'll see a national peak soon. Uh, the Midwest and the South may have just peaked. We need some more data to see confirmation of that. But this means that instead of the children's hospitals being you know, pretty much empty the way they were for, for over a year, they're now very, very busy places. They're very full. Now, the way that we count COVID hospitalizations, if you're in the hospital for literally any reason and you get a positive COVID test and they test everyone you know, very frequently in the hospital, you now become a COVID-associated hospitalization regardless of your original reason for admission and why you're there. And so even when the hospitals were pretty empty, we had two studies that uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics did where they found that 40 to 45 percent of the hospitalizations in the pediatric age group were there for some reason totally unrelated to COVID, a broken arm or whatever it might be. So to me, it stands to reason that if you have vastly higher children's hospital utilization because you're in this big wave of these other respiratory diseases that were sort of postponed from the winter, you know, some percentage of them are going to test positive for COVID just because COVID's circulating in the community. It doesn't mean that that's what's causing the disease in those individuals. And so I think that's the main reason we're seeing a rise to the extent that they are infected uh, with the with the SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus. Um, it, it's likely a co-infection with one of those other viruses, probably RSV. Whether that presents greater danger than RSV by itself. We don't really know. But I can tell you that it's very clear from the international data that COVID itself has not changed to become any more dangerous for children uh, with the Delta variant. And in fact, the world's number one top expert on pediatric COVID is a doctor named Alastair Monroe, who is he actually is a practicing clinician at a hospital in the United Kingdom, also runs a website that reviews every single paper on pediatric COVID that's written. It's extremely comprehensive. And he had this tweet, I don't know, 10 days ago now, where he basically said, that, you know, Delta is now totally dominant in every Western country. Why is only the United States trying to claim that somehow it's more dangerous for children? Uh, we're not seeing that anywhere. That's not true. And so I think this is a panic. It's, uh, you know, it is true that children's hospitals are very full right now, uh, but there's no evidence that COVID has become more dangerous for children. They are more crowded, and I think it's important to discuss these things as they are. But we haven't seen that they're more dangerous for children. If you have, if it's more contagious, which it is, you will have the opportunity for more kids uh, to so get it. So you could have opportunities for more kids to be in hospitals. Can I add a one point of advice? To yeah, sure, man. If somebody has an infant that's in a high-risk category, and you can do a search and see what these are for RSV, you should ask your doctor about um, immunoprophylaxis. They can give them shots of uh, antibody. And typically that's done in the winter ahead of RSV season. But I, I worry that, you know, babies who otherwise might have gotten those shots didn't because of the, you know, the out-of-season nature of this RSV situation. So if people do have infants uh, that fit one of those high-risk categories, you know, ask your doctor about RSV immunoprophylaxis right now because uh, we don't want kids, you know, to die because they get this virus because everyone was so obsessed with COVID that they weren't prepared for this RSV coming in the summer. Talking to Phil Kirpin of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com, just a guy who knows how to break down the data. And this data is important because what parents are being subjected to by school boards is we force the masks. You're seeing it where I live in central Indiana. You're seeing it all across the country. We have high positivity rates. We have to wear the mask, but the mask is not shown 
to prove effectiveness uh, against COVID. This is what we keep discussing and we keep going over. You heard Joe Biden go after Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, Greg Abbott, the governor uh, of Texas, and instruct Miguel Cardona, who is the secretary of education, to find ways to sue those governors because what they're doing, if you don't have masks and people get sick, well, that's clearly discrimination. It's crazy. Here's the thing, Tony. Both of those states had lots of schools that didn't mask this past school year. Now, this wasn't a political thing. They weren't attacked for it. I didn't hear anyone say a word about it until now when he's trying to change the subject from Afghanistan and whatever. But um, both of those states had lots of schools that didn't mask last school year. Both of those states have a lot of data on this. And both of those states, based on the data we have, have either no difference at all or maybe slightly lower case rates in the mask optional than the mask mandated schools. That's why they made the decision that they did. This was not an unscientific or an undata driven decision. This was based on what they observed last school year. They're not going into the unknown. And I think, you know, the idea that masks would make a difference with a more infectious variant when they made no difference with a less infectious one is completely backwards to logic. The truth is, um, the Delta variant of this virus is more infectious. The old one was very infectious itself. The CDC estimated that 40% of school-age kids had already been infected by March. It's probably over 50% now. And the reality is, almost no matter what we do, it's probably going to be nearly 100% of kids who get this. And by the way, that might not be a bad thing, because for a virus that is very, very low risk for children, but very, very dangerous for older people, you want them to get it young and their body to be used to it and to get it every few years so it never becomes a dangerous thing. Yeah, but now you're having the conversation about whether or not the antibodies are going to last, and you've got Joe Biden already talking about booster shots for people with Pfizer, Moderna, J&J coming. We've seen that the the antibodies last seven, eight months. Is there a feel on on whether or not these antibodies are going to last for forever? Well, look, I mean, I don't think anything lasts forever, uh, but based on what we know about this virus, and there's a very good article by, uh, by a doctor named Christine Ben from, from Denmark on this point. It was in the British Medical Journal. But uh, we know that the course for coronaviruses, what normally happens with the other four coronaviruses, you get exposed to it as a child. It's, it's harmless. You get re-exposed to it, reinfected every couple of years. And it's really it 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 really is sort of is an irritation at best, a sort of a common cold. It's not a big deal. Uh, the new virus, when a new coronavirus like the one we're dealing with comes out, the reason it's so dangerous, and you have the massive death that we've had, is you've got a lot of older people whose bodies never seen it before. If they'd seen it back when they were kids and seen it every couple of years since, it wouldn't have caused the havoc that it did. And so the the hope is that this sort of elegantly degrades into just the fifth common cold coronavirus. And, uh, you know, the the hope is that the vaccines are good enough that for older people, you know, when we do get exposed, and I think we're all going to be exposed if we haven't been already, the key thing for people who are in a higher risk category is to be vaccinated before your first exposure. Uh, you know, the, the hope is that, you know, when you are exposed, it you, you will have a relatively mild course and, and you'll be okay. And then, you know, you're probably going to get it again in a few years, but it's not going to be nearly as severe then because your body's seen it before. And even if the antibodies are gone, you've got, you know, you've got your B cells, you've got your T cells, you've got all the immune mechanisms that'll sort of recognize So do me it a favor, Phil. It to be more mild going forward. In 30, literally, I only have 30 seconds. How do you explain to parents to explain to school boards that they're wrong to mandate masks? 
I think you really have to focus on the harms. You have to point out that this is not a costless intervention, uh, that there are substantial negative educational effects, uh, particularly for language development and communication skills, that there are substantial mental health effects, uh, that we're seeing a lot of anxiety, a lot of mental health effects among a lot of students as a consequence of this, that there are social and emotional developmental effects, that they don't develop the normal relationships with each other and with their teachers that they would without that barrier, and that there are physical health effects, that a lot of kids are uncomfortable that they get headaches, that they get skin conditions, uh, that these are all very disruptive and very costly. And you need to, to have an intervention like that. You have to demonstrate that there's Phil, a benefit. I'm up against that, it. Oh, that, I got to run. I love you, Phil Kirpin. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.